Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge, pretty damn cold, Boudreaux, joined by my co-host, Shelly. How you doing, Shelly? I'm doing good, Serge. I am uh, really grateful to be working from home and so grateful that my daughter's got homeschool as well because I don't have to drive her to school every day or worry that she's out, you know, like waiting for the bus or anything like that. So yeah, you know what, that's, that's me ever the optimist. Well, exactly. I was going to ask the grateful part of everything. Exactly. I was going (laughs) to ask you how you've been, but I'm like, you're, I know what you're going to say. Be like, everything's great. Sunshine coming out of your ass. You know, that's (laughs) that's just who you are. So So, let's jump ahead. Uh, Yes, this is part of our HR Tech uh, special episode, mm-hmm. so we have a special guest, so go ahead, let's yeah. introduce him. Yeah, so I am really pleased to introduce the lovely and talented Mr. John McConnell. John is the founder of Buoyancy Works and Nudge Jobs by Buoyancy. John, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks very much. Welcome, welcome. So uh, John uh, was introduced to me through, um, we have a common friend. and You always um, say you have friends, Shelly. I don't believe <laughs> you have any friends at all. You're, you're just trying to oh. tell a story. Because you did that last episode, the episode before, I have a friend. You're always name dropping. I'm, I'm really surprised. I did not, not name drop this time. Okay. I did not, Serge. So just back off. Um, so John was introduced to me, though through a mutual friend that said, hey, I think you guys should meet. And boy, it was just, it was just a, a hit right out of the park from the first time I started talking to John about Buoyancy Works and, and where he's headed. And so, um, you know, for our listeners, John, uh, one of the things that I love to hear is your journey in, as a tech startup. So tell us, tell us about your journey and how you came to start up Buoyancy Works. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> gee whiz, how did I come to start up Buoyancy Works? Uh, it's interesting. If we go way back, uh, for me, the journey probably started in around um, 2015 when I was transitioned out of my uh, my former role in an EMP company. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, there's always a thread of uh, behavioral science through my career of 20-something years now. Um that I, uh, through that exercise in 2015, decided to uh, follow that thread a little bit and pull on it. And that led me to, uh, to go do uh, some, some more learning in, in behavioral science and, and get my master's. And, uh, and then I really started to spend time focusing and, and thinking about how uh, technology and behavioral science could uh, could start to help us scale some of the challenges around uh, around helping people transition, um, and there's a whole lot a uh, whole lot tied up to that. They're tied up and related to that, but uh, we don't have to get into it. Um, but my journey, if we look specifically at at my journey as a tech startup, I mean, if we look at uh, the the Alberta tech ecosystem, it's been really it's been really interesting. I, in 2015, I first stuck my toe in these waters and tried to unravel its mysteries. And uh, 
at that time, the, the broad innovation system in Alberta was really enable, about enabling the commercialization of kind of academic research as it targeted the energy sector. Uh, and now if you kind of look at where we are in the, uh, in the ecosystem, it's really changed. We've got this groundswell of support for the tech sector. Uh, the grassroots community is really vibrant, super supportive uh, in both Calgary and Edmonton. And, um, and that's been just amazing as a, as a tech entrepreneur. Um, I will say the other thing that's been interesting for me personally is the journey has been uh, about finding a way to, to combine that love of behavioral science and technology, but it's also been coming to terms with where, um, I guess, how fast technology moves Mm -hmm. and how far it's come since I was last immersed in it. Because I I grew up in tech, uh, oil and gas focused, but still tech. But I kind of stepped out of it. I wasn't quite immersed in it uh, for about 10 years. And so much has changed in 10 years. Like it's, it was so startling to me at first, but also so refreshing to see um, how many of my peers much younger than me can so quickly stand up and test concepts. And they're really trying to do things using, uh, well, near and dear to my heart is somebody who is, uh, is focused on kind of behavioral science and, and experimentation. Um, so cool to see how these young tech startups and entrepreneurs are are uh, being able to spin things up relatively quickly with no code dev platforms and taking advantage of APIs and third party tools to enable these workflows. Uh, yeah, it's been that side's been, been really amazing. Um, so when did the, you when did you kind of make that decision to apply? Because behavioral science is a big category. Um, so why the focus on, and uh, by the way, I love the name Buoyancy Works and I love Nudge Jobs. Like it's, I love the name. When you take a, a, a close look at, at the name, it was like, oh, this is very clever. Um, but tell us your well. vision. Like how did you decide to apply behavioral science to, um, to really, to Nudge Jobs and Buoyancy Works? Like why did you choose that path? What's What's your vision behind that? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, the I have a pretty I have a pretty broad background personally, mm-hmm. and so although the transition this would be I guess in twenty fifteen was my second time through one of these transition processes. The first one was pretty early in my career, and and so for me, I always had this, and I'm a bit of an optimist as well. No surprise. I don't think anybody who's not an optimist goes in was foolish enough to get into entrepreneurship, but um, it really, I had such a a visceral experience going through this uh, transition process with other people that were sitting in the room with me and, and folks that had, that had a fairly narrow set of expertise. Right. And had poured their life's energy into Mm being with one company um, and just the, the sheer pain and anxiety that those individuals uh, were experiencing in that moment just completely hit me like a ton of bricks. And um, that actually was 
probably the biggest driver uh, behind behind this this exercise. The other one that was really interesting is uh, the at the time, so 2015, Alberta was going through an unprecedented, uh, well, up to that point, an unprecedented set of uh, of uh, layoffs within the energy sector, and we started to see firms. Uh, like these outplacement firms not being able to scale very effectively and handle the the sheer load of yeah of uh, transitions that were happening simultaneously and it it, it just kind of hit me like okay look we've got to be able to do this better there has to be a better way um, and so yeah can, I ended can... up going and doing my research on uh, on how to apply behavioral science to activate job seekers to stay motivated and engaged in their process. So tell me what is, so what is nudge jobs in a sense? Like if you could give me like a, I don't know, 30, 60 second pitch on what nudge jobs is for our audience um, that would definitely help me understand it. Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Serge. Uh, I can tell you nudge jobs in its current state is not what nudge jobs uh, in its next version will be. Okay. Um, so I'm not quite, I haven't nailed the elevator pitch yet, but, okay, for us, but for us, Nudge Jobs is really about addressing the underlying um, motivational uh, and emotional jobs that job seekers need to tackle as far as part of the process. Yeah, I was looking. Uh, I, I was looking at your page, looking at your website, just trying to get a grasp of how Nudge Job works. And a couple of things stuck out to me. One of them, it's um, it looks like a Trillo board in some ways, how it's outlined, which is, I think, really smart because the Trillo board is very easy to use, very easy to maneuver around. So I don't know if you got any of your motivation from a Trillo board, but it definitely looks like it. Um, but then looking at so. Your business model right now, uh, if you're looking at it, it, is it targeting job seekers directly? Is it going to outplacement firms? Because basically my understanding of reading it, it's basically a tool for a job seeker to manage their job searching, I guess, activities and their overall experience. There's basically managing their like they would be managing a job or whatever the case is, and you're giving them the tools to manage who they're interviewing, who they should follow up with. Is that a good representation of what Nudge Jobs is? It's a really good representation of what Nudge Jobs is now. Okay. <laughs> um, and and it's it's interesting, Serge. So early on in this process, we one of the early conclusions that we came to was that uh, job seekers in their in their challenge to, to get organized really needed a few things. They needed a plan. They needed a way to, to organize themselves. And we wanted to start uh, dropping those barriers to engagement by providing that tool set. We've had we've had a bit of a shift though in our thinking, and that certainly that's helpful, but it it still doesn't address the fundamental emotional and motivational uh, jobs that job seekers are going through. And let's be, let's be fair. That's really where behavioral science has its strength and where we can really make a difference. And so our effort here, uh, and we're, we're back in the validation mode and the validation process, talking to customers and potential customers um, every day 
And and so for us, the next version of nudge jobs that will hopefully get into place between now and, and springtime, we'll start to, I'm sorry, I know it sounds like you really love the Trello board, but we'll probably back away from that okay. mode and that model and start okay. to find ways to bring the content out from behind that, bring it front and center, and and provide that content in a way that boosts and nudges uh, the job seeker through through the provision of the content, as well as through uh, some opportunities to provide um, asynchronous virtual counseling, okay, and coaching, okay, uh, and not through uh, chatbots, but with actual people on the other side. Um, so yeah, we're we're really excited about the next chapter. I'm not going to completely discount what's there right now. We've had a lot of great feedback from our existing users. Um, but yeah, I still think we can do better. Well, yeah, well, if we look at it, what it is now is very much geared towards, and your business model as I see it is, you're basically giving a tool for the job seeker. You're charging them a monthly fee to use that tool, uh, which I, I got to admit, initially, anytime we're charging job seekers, I kind of get advice. I don't feel great about it in that sense. So yeah. looking at how we're moving forward, is this going more towards a service that maybe would replace outplacement uh, type of operation? Is that your new business model or just trying to that, understand that, where that you're be, going? That will be two two iterations away, Serge. So, <clears throat> okay. So the way we see that, uh, and you know what, to be fair, we've had a lot of interest from small and medium businesses uh, when we talk about the concept about yeah. doing that, because right now, outplacement is not a service they can really afford to provide their their employees that they're transitioning out. Yeah. Well, and that industry needs to be uh, disrupted, disrupted anyways. Yeah. Well, that, that, that was my next point, which was having said that. <laughs> Having said that, I don't think that the that industry who really serves the corporation, not the individual, mm -hmm. has done a great job of delighting their clients from a job seeker perspective. Yeah. So we definitely see that as a complementary market. We um, our number one job though in the double-sided marketplace like that is to make sure that the demand side, the users, the, the job seekers are first and foremost delighted, supported, and engaged in the, in the platform. And so, um, and so we, we may go down that path as, a, as an alternate business model. We're looking to, we're looking at innovation across all the all the the opportunities, right? We're looking at innovating the business model. We're looking at innovating the delivery model. Um, so the answer would be, I guess, to your question is is yes. I think down the road we will likely end up doing both. We okay. do believe that there is a market to go direct to consumer in this case. Um, I hear you. Not every job seeker has got the uh, has got the means to um, to subscribe to a, a monthly model, um, and as far as yeah, as far as the the revenue model or the business model as it relates to direct to consumer, we're 
it's way too early days for us to decide what that looks like. Um, the pricing page that's on there now actually is, is uh, it's available for people to see. It's, it's yep. not actually being enforced. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that part of the process will, will be uh, sorted out down the road. So who do you think is going to be the target at the end of the day? So if obviously you've got a couple different ways that you're going, so potentially the job seeker directly or some type of business to business approach, kind of replacing outplacement in the long term or an alternative to outplacement. But are, are we thinking higher level talent? And I don't mean there's a lower and higher level talent, but when I'm talking as far as salaries or that case would be your target or is it hourly workers? Is it... Is there a particular demographic that you find that this would impact more than the other one, or is it targeted to everyone that doesn't have a job? Yeah, fair question. Um, you know, we certainly hope that the Nudge Jobs platform in the future will be used by everyone. Okay. I 100% believe that the, the constructs and the structures that we're talking about are applicable across the board. I mean, there are a few exceptions uh, in there, but, uh, in general, if you, if you look at the, um, the population of job seekers that don't have access to the services that you're talking about, those definitely would be our, uh, our, our clients. Having said that, uh, I'm sure being, uh, technophiles, uh, both of you, you're quite familiar with the tech adoption lifecycle. And really for us, it's trying to identify right now who those early adopters are and what they look like. And yeah. uh, our recent research is, is, and this will probably come as no surprise, we've zeroed in on uh, iGen and millennial professionals who are um, facing job uncertainty themselves right now. Mm-hmm. And most of them are pretty open to tech and pretty used to engaging in the kind of um, social experience that we're talking about here through technology and through an app. So, you know, if, uh, we believe that if we can, if we can get those folks on board and, and move this thing forward, then that'll give us the opportunity to look at additional markets, start to have really rich conversations with, um, with companies on the B2B side. Uh, but really it, it has to start with that, groundswell of, of support and interest from our early adopter community. Yeah. Do you, would you say you have a, like, are you at the point that you have in like our early adopter kind of uh, build or base in that sense? Cause as you know, you're getting to early adopter then crossing the chasm over to the mainstream yeah. is extremely difficult and probably the mainstream at this particular point. I'm not sure as far as demographics of how many people are actually looking for jobs in different generation. Um, I'm assuming it's, it's across the board. I don't see a, a big difference from boomers to um, like Gen Z or even Gen X as far as what they're looking. I think it, it is across the board. So yeah. interesting perspective on that end. Yeah, I, you know, I would see, I think what my prediction would be uh, that you you will find those that kind of are not quite a baby boomer or next generation down will be the first to adopt because they have the added barrier of age discrimination, if I may. Yeah. Uh, and and if they have been with 
you know, the whole notion of staying with the same employer for 10, 15 years, um, unwinding that and unwinding that thinking and being able to take uh, what, what it was that made you successful at your last employer and how do you package that for, to make it attractive for a new employer. Um, you know, I, I would predict that it's probably in that, um, you know, 45 to 55 age range. Mid-career Gen Xers looking for what's next. Um, I hear you. I would think. Well, I would delighted. Think. If you, yeah. It, but if you think about the generations, like Shelly, this is maybe a question more for you in that sense of like younger <laughs> generation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Zach. But let's think about what the world of work looks like and how it's moving and working in the tech sector right now. I'm seeing a lot of people, especially in generations that are younger than myself, um, gig work is, is what they're looking for. They're looking for freelance. They're looking for a contract. So are those people going to be as see this as a service they can actually use because it's, it's not in the same mental mindset. They're cool. If after a year, their contract is over and they're looking for the next one or whatever the case would be, would that affect how you look at those job seekers? Is that a question for Shelly? Yeah, it's for you, me? actually. I, I did yeah. say it was for Shelly, but <laughs> oh, as okay. I made my question yeah. through, it, it is for you, yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. I, I believe that, um, you know, this almost gets back to the last two questions, Serge. So the current build as it stands really is built on the structure of the old job-seeking model. I think if yeah. we start to look at motivation, uh, the emotional journey, and some of the and trying to alleviate uh, some of the discouragement and challenges that people will have, that's going that's not going to change. Uh, I think I think gig workers will continue to have those struggles in trying to understand uh, what's next and what their next chapter looks like. And if we can um, help them uh, get through some of those motivational uh, down dips and and stay focused on on moving their process forward. I think that's that's great. Yeah, you I know, know Serge, I'll throw it over to you guys and see. Do you agree with that or? So Serge and I were talking yesterday, um, or recently, shall I say? We were recently talking about you know is there really a talent shortage? Uh, because the um, there's been some recent surveys released about you know just how many STEM technology students graduate each year and how many of them are not working in their field. So I would, I would offer that the other category of who needs this structure and help is our new grads. Uh, they said in terms of what was it? 2.3 million graduates in STEM a year and 1.3 million of them are not working in their field. So the, the, um, expectation and the reality of what it takes to job search they're not prepared for no, they're not they're not prepared for the you know they they've got what they've been trained to do whatever degree that they have is they've been trained you know you have milestones you have assignments and then there's the big you know all-nighter push for the final exam right and so do they apply that same sort of rhythm to their job search? I think those that do um, are the ones that land work yeah. as new grads. But what about the other 1.3 million that, that 
didn't make that connection in their brain about, you know, you need to pour it on and you need to pour it on with the same energy and emotion put to it as you did for a final exam. In all fairness, no one is no one has thought how to look for a job in university. Actually, like community colleges and tech schools or like trade schools do a way better job. So a lot of people graduate and they're not ready. They have no clue what's uh, the world of job seeking looks for them. So yeah, fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. that's my take. Yeah, yeah. no, a hundred percent, and that would kind of align with our our belief that the, the, the iGen folks, because those guys squarely kind of fit into that demographic. Um, I think the other part of it is certainly in a, in a regular year, but this year in particular, um, you can only go through that a, a few times before you start to, that really starts to hammer on your self-confidence, right? So yeah. part of it is, is, is the plan and the execution the other part is how do you elevate people, boost them up? Um, and I think that plays into, that really plays into the reason why people take this spaghetti approach to uh, applying for jobs and see, you know, throwing stuff at the Indeed application or the Indeed uh, postings and finding out what sticks. Because they've got that, um, they're experiencing this this low level of self-confidence. Here, I can read as many blogs as I want to that say I should be networking, I should be networking, I should be networking. Yeah. But A, if I'm not a networker, and B, if I've got if my self-confidence is is down in the dumps, how can I get myself to that point to pick up the phone and um, call anybody? Right? Yep. There's so much emotional um, yeah there, there's so much that's emotional in that process of, of trying to move move that uh, move that process forward. Yeah, it's definitely challenging. the one thing like the spaghetti approach as a practitioner that does recruiting on a day-to-day basis, it's friggin' annoying, to be honest, of getting 300 applicants and 299 are not qualified because then you get the sense just like you open, a, you open a resume for someone that's applied and they have zero of the skills that is needed. Like I'll, I'll hire a data scientist and I've got someone working at McDonald's. Not that there's anything wrong working at McDonald's, but there's a particular skill set in education that you need to be able to apply for this role and i think there still needs there's a mixture in the in in the community as far as people that are advising job seekers and there's like hundreds or thousands of them even in the local market and i can tell you and a lot of it is bullshit and one of them is you should apply for a lot of jobs even though you're not qualified well being on the other side i'm like fuck off don't do that because you're wasting a ton of my time like stop it (laughs) Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. look Just at the job stop. requirements. Look at what you're trying. You don't need every requirement. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But be close, please. Uh, so yes. I think there's a lot of bad advice that's given out there. I don't know if you feel the same, Shelly, because you're in this circle as well. Yeah. Do you know, Serge, you know that that's been my passion project for the last 25 years is always dedicating some amount of time to job seekers. 
You know, yeah. at any point in time, I'm working on a one-to-one with a job seeker with the only goal of what you talk about, John, and that is, you know, it, there always comes a point where somebody just needs a positive word. I never run out of positive words. I know it's hard There's to no find doubt. a job, but I'm not going to do it for you either, right? right. Like, that's not my yeah. role. But right. the, um, you know, the, the job seeker experience, when they hit the wall, that's when they need some sort of boost. Because absolutely. I absolutely agree. So many people are just not cut out for networking, right? Like even, even the fact that, they, <clears throat> that they've been introduced to me and I'll, you know, spend a little time with them and give them some pointers. It's still up to them to take what I've suggested and, and to do it, like to actually do the work. Um, and so, you know, the... Um, there is a lot of, and, and so when I'm talking to them, they're telling me, oh, you know, but a recruiter told me, um, you know, to leave the dates off my resume because someone can age discriminate against me. And I'm like, or to, to, to just put on your resume only the things that are relevant to the job that you're applying to. I'm like, why? Like, why would you do that? That now you've got a 10-year gap in your work history. Like, do, do I conclude that you were... Um, I don't know, imprisoned for drug smuggling in uh, Guatemala for 10 years? Like, I don't know. Like, That'd be a pretty good, I would put that <laughs> stuff on my resume. Because that's but impressive. I'm just saying, I'm just saying I think the, the big... could get the smokes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the big challenge is getting recruiters on the same page about what we need to see. What nobody's going to disagree with is... Um, at least have maybe even six out of 10 of the things that's sure. that that is needed um, nobody has a hundred percent like well I mean that would be that would be a recruiter's dream is that we only get resumes that are a hundred percent of what no yeah. it doesn't work that way and it I don't know maybe with blockchain um, it'll happen but even then you know just because somebody said that they've got five years experience coding something doesn't mean they're any good at it no, exactly. You know, well, on like the flip side, a lot of it is based on the recruiters and hiring managers and what we're putting because we're putting stuff we shouldn't be putting on job descriptions or job ads. We're yeah. putting need a university degree, need and a lot of jobs, I'm sorry to say, a lot you of don't jobs know. don't need a university degree. It's it's just yeah. based on and I'm saying this, it's based on the boomer generation that was thought <laughs> that you needed to go to university. And sorry, Shelly, I'm, That's I'm okay. picking on you. <laughs> I'm very close to the boomer generation, so I can say, is saying you need a university degree. If you go through all the requirements, I bet you 50% are not even accurate. But if you're applying for a data scientist role and you've never done data scientist, you've never gone to school for it, yeah, don't apply. Don't apply at all. It's There's a difference thing. Do you need to unpack yeah, exactly. that a little bit? Do we need to spend some time on that one? <laughs> Maybe we do. But if you're applying for, say, a web developer and it's saying seven years and you have five, well, yes, please go ahead and apply because that's usually like a preset uh, that they put seven years because they think that is what senior is. So let's pause for a second, if you, if you guys will allow me, and just sure. think about the context of the conversation we've just had. So Shelly has, has basically taken this poor Guatemalan uh, inmate guy and slammed the shit out of his resume. And, and you're talking about, well, okay, in this case, if, you, if you're a developer and you've got five years, not seven, like, 
we are we are teasing through the details here. Yeah. And then let's take the job seeker who hasn't maybe ever looked for a job before. They've got no confidence in their job seeking skills. Their personal self-confidence is in the shitter. They've um they've uh yeah so their personal self-confidence is 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 really down in the in the dirt and <clears throat> they don't know what to do they're they're stressed their cognitive capability because they're stressed is actually diminished we know that through research and evidence how the hell are job seekers supposed to unravel the two things that you just talked about in that mental state and in that like no way, no way. So we've got to be better at helping them boost that, their, their, their self-confidence up, bring them to a point where they can actually engage in solving the problem that yeah. you're talking about in a way that is effective and, and, and efficient. Well, this is your job. So yeah. you need to create that product and solve <laughs> everything we just talked about here, or you already, you're already almost there so in reality i hope this context because uh, i completely agree there's there's so many dissenting voices out there as far as what you should do what you shouldn't do and um like i always say and like there's two things when it comes to looking for a job don't start networking until don't start networking until you lose your job and i actually that's don't right. wait you to should start always, networking yeah you should always be networking and networking should always be you're offering something to someone instead of asking in that particular point. And a lot of people don't do anything. And then when they lose their job, they go in hyper mode of, of networking. And that is a little bit on my end. That's um, a little bit of privilege talking in that end because I'm comfortable uh, networking at every point. It's not every job seeker. So you bring up some really good points. So if our audience is uh, wants to get a hold of you, find out more about Nudge Jobs and B1C, where can they get a hold of you, John? Yeah, so uh, pretty easy. So if you, uh, on the tweets uh, or Facebook, Instagram, we're at Buoyancy Works. Uh, our website is uh, buoyancy.works and they can check out Nudge Jobs at nudgejobs.com. Perfect. Awesome. That is, uh, that's awesome. John, thank you so much. I know um, in those early days um, of any startup, uh, it's always like being able to take the feedback you're getting, whether it's from the consumer market or from, uh, from individuals and, and let that shape kind of where, where things are going. So um, I certainly have been absolutely honored to get to know you and love where you're taking this because, you know, helping job seekers is something that I believe one day, no matter who you are, you will be a job seeker. Everybody, everybody at some point is a job seeker. And I've always believed that, you know, giving back uh, where I can for job seekers because you know, 25 years in the business, um, a lot of job seekers I worked with are now, uh, when they were just looking for work, are now executives. Um, they're well advanced in their career, right? And those friendships are, are long lasting. Because I think I've always said that the day we forget how it feels, 
um, to be in, to be interviewed, to be going through the job search process. The day that I forget that is the day I should just be in another business. So yeah, looking for a job sucks. So yeah, yeah, it is. It's, uh, there's, there's, there's one guiding, um, guiding uh, note that really uh, struck an, uh, a chord with me when I was going through school. There's a UK social scientist named Richard Laird. And he, uh, he pointed out that um, in a society that's, that's uh, obsessed with happiness, the most effective way to improve well-being is not to help those that are pretty happy get a little bit happier. It's to alleviate sources of misery. Yeah. And the experience of unemployment is one of the biggest drivers of misery around the globe. And, um, you know, I know that we're not going to be able to eradicate it, but shit. You know, even if we can make people's lives a little bit better, help them get a little more engaged, and uh, and that in our hope would be accelerates that process and helps them get to the other side uh, with a little bit less misery in their lives, and then uh, we'll we'd be happy. It's a very good mission. Uh, I yeah, think I can get behind that. Yeah, we can all get behind that. So, John, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks very much. Thank you. We'll talk again. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.